Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Welcome to another story in our series called Grace Stories on our Simply by Grace podcast. We're glad that you're listening. And it would really help as you're listening if you would subscribe, offer a comment at the end, or give us a five-star review, and then more people will be able to hear what you're hearing and all the other stories that we're hearing. We try to capture what grace has done to people and changing their lives and giving them sometimes a very fruitful life and ministry. And our guest today has lived a very fruitful life because of God's grace. And he has a very impactful ministry today. He's in the ministry. He's been in the ministry for a long time. I'm not going to spill the beans, though. I'm going to ask him to start at the very beginning and tell his story. So uh, we're welcoming today Dr. Ralph Arnold, better known universally as Yankee Arnold. So welcome, Yankee. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's a joy to be with you, and I look forward to the thing that we're going to talk about today. Well, we'll see what happens. We're, I'm in Florida for a missions conference at Calvary Community Church, which Yankee started some years ago. And um, they've been uh, very kind to Grace Life Ministries, and they're very passionate about getting the gospel, not only locally, but all around the world. But with that said, though, you didn't start out that way. Tell us about your, your upbringing a little well, bit. Give us some context. It's interesting because being born was actually by grace, and staying alive was by grace. What I mean by that is simply everybody usually wants to know is how in the world did you ever get the name Yankee? Yeah. Well, my daddy was a bootlegger, and he <laughs> spent most of his life in the chain gang and running from the law, and that was in Georgia. So he was 31 years old when he married my mom. She was 14 years old. And she was a rebel. She was born there in Georgia. And so there's a lot of years difference in their age. But the first two born into the family were girls, and, well, they were born in Georgia, and they were, they were rebels too. My dad was on the run from the law when he went to Pennsylvania. And lo and behold, I was born. Now, everybody wants a boy, of course. But when I was born, I had long, straight black hair all over my body. I had sideburns. I had hair going down my back. <laughs> when you were born? My dad says... <laughs> that I look like a little monkey. He says I was the ugliest kid he'd ever seen in his life. So he wanted to put me in a burlap sack and come in the river and drown me, and my mama wouldn't let him. The doctor came to the now, house. I never know when you're kidding or telling a story. I'm telling, everything I'm telling you right now is the truth. It's that he wanted to put you in a sack. It's all the truth. And uh, he was going to put me in a burlap sack, and my mom wouldn't let him do it. And uh, Well, that's, so the, you're, you've got a good mom. But i got a good okay. mom. See, most... most a lot of women, they want to abort their child before it's born, but my daddy wanted to do it after oh I was my born. So that's why I say I'm alive by the grace of God. Mm. But the doctor came to the house, looked at me, and looked at my daddy and says, my, 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 he looks just like his daddy, don't he? Well, my uh -oh. dad cussed. He called me a blankety-blank Yankee, and that's how I got my nickname, Yankee. My mama called me Yankee Boy, and my dad called me the other, so I never used my first name. I just used Yankee, my last name there. <laughs> anyway, they uh, wound up moving to Georgia after about six months, and so I was raised in the South. So for the 80 years, I've been shot at from both sides. I got a name named Yankee and then raised in the South. <laughs> I've been a very mixed-up individual. My goodness. So that's how I got born into this old world. And You never got involved in bootlegging? 
No, I never did. My my dad made it. My mama hauled it. My sister drank it, and I preach against it. <laughs> That's about the best way I can put it. But, not not a real good family dynamic there. No, but um, I uh, never heard anything about how to go to heaven. My dad, I never saw him in a church, or my mother. Never saw them with a Bible in our home. We never had prayer in our home. So we weren't raised as far as I guess you could say in a Christian home environment. And uh, so I, di I didn't go to church. I didn't know God. I wanted to know. Mm -hmm. I knew there was a God. And I wondered why God allowed me to be born and who was I and where I came from, what I'm doing, where am I going to go. And uh, <clears throat> it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I was 18 years old and I had found this pretty little girl and, well, I said it to my mom, I says, I I'm going to marry that girl. Her name was Betty. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that she had a boyfriend. And I didn't even know her name at the time. I, But I told my mom, I said, I'm going to marry her. So I found out she had a boyfriend, so I met with him and took care of that. Then I went looking after her. And so um, our first little date, we walked up to Athens, Georgia there, and to the town and looked for a ring. I was a mover. I was afraid I was going to lose. I didn't want somebody else to get her. You were good. And, uh, get her with the ring. But anyway, my um, <clears throat> desire to, to marry her was so strong, I went right off the bat and asked her mom and dad. I says, can I marry her? They said, no. And I says, why not? He said, because you don't have a job, you don't have any money, you don't have a place to live. And her mother says, and you're a hoodlum. And they were right on everything they said. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So me and Betty, we ran away to Anderson, South Carolina, got mm. married. Walked out of the courthouse. Betty looked at me and says, did you pay him anything? I says, no. So we walked back in. And I asked him, I says, how much do I owe you? He said, well, how much is she worth? <laughs> I says, it's $5 all right. He says, that'll do. So I told Betty, give me $5. Well, I didn't have any money at all. She had $17. I married her for her money. You, you had to get the money for her? You <laughs> married her for her money? Money from her. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's how we got married, and her dad came looking for me with a gun. He was going to part my soul in eternity. Why did he think you were a hoodlum? How'd you get that reputation? Well, because I, I was a dropout out of high school. Hmm. And uh, by the time I was 17 years old, I'd already hitchhiked across America. I got picked up by the police in El Paso, Texas. I got picked up in Yuma, Arizona, and I uh, got picked up in Los Angeles. Not and for hitchhiking? This is all, Not for hitchhiking? No, just, but this is all when I'm 17 years old. Hmm. And so... I really wasn't raised with a mom and dad, right? And so, because my mom and dad got divorced, and uh, he died when I was thirteen, and so he was only forty-seven then, hmm. and so we'd already been away from him for about six, seven years. So I didn't have the typical upbringing that most people have. I wasn't taught good manners, uh, you know, how to live, hmm. and uh, so I I finished the tenth grade. I didn't want to go to 11th grade. My dad was still there. <laughs> I was a joke. <laughs> that was a, all right, that, so you, you, Betty paid for you to get married, yeah. but her father didn't like the idea. No, but it was um, about not long after that, we wound up moving in their house with them. Hmm. And he had mercy on me. And every night before they'd go to bed, they'd have devotions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know that he was a Sunday school teacher in the Baptist church for 20 years. Hmm. And he was talking about getting me saved, but I had no idea what he was talking about. Hmm. And they would always pray for Yankee to get saved. And 
I couldn't. I don't. I, I didn't have a clue. Nothing registered. And so we'd sit at the table in the kitchen there, and he'd sit across the table, and Betty to my left, and his, her mom to the right, and and I don't remember anything they ever said, but they'd always have prayer and they'd pray for me. One night they was having a, a shower for Betty, and I guess I was already washed up. But anyway, I was sitting there in the living room, and I was bored stiff. They didn't have a TV, no radio, there was no newspaper, and I've got nothing to do. And I said, I am bored. He says, why don't you read something? I said, I don't have anything to read. He says, hmm. read the Bible. I said, I don't have a Bible. He says, I do. Hmm. I said, I don't know what to read in the Bible. He says, the book of John. I said, I don't know where it is. He says, well, I do. <laughs> so he got his Bible, opened it to the Gospel of John. I sat there on the couch and I read the first three chapters. Even read John 3.16. Mm -hmm. Had no clue what it says. I stood up and I took his Bible and I threw it on the couch. I was so rude and unkind. Hmm. And I started to walk out. I got over to the door and he says, Yankee, sit down. Hmm. So I sat down. He opened up the Bible and explained to me John 3.16. I understood. But by what I understood, by what he said, well, according to what he was saying, I'm going to hell. Hmm. I knew I wasn't going to heaven. Now I know I'm going to hell. I thought I was a pretty good kid. I didn't drink, smoke, dip, chew, go with the girls that do. Mm -hmm. And so I got up, walked over to the door, and I was going to go outside, but Betty and the ladies were outside there. little thing they had broke up, and I didn't want to go outside. It was dark outside, and I stood there, and I started getting teary-eyed. Remember, I hadn't been to church. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what people did to get saved. I never saw anybody do it. Mm -hmm. All I know is that I'm going to hell. And that broke me up and I started crying. And my father-in-law sitting there on the couch. He says, what's wrong? I says, nothing. And then I started getting crocodile tears. So the only thing I could do that would make any sense to me is I reached over and I turned off the lights and now he's sitting in the dark. <laughs> oh my goodness. He says, what's wrong? I says, nothing. He knew what was wrong. He'd set me up. Mm -hmm. He was a soul winner. He knew how to win people to Christ. And so I says, I want to be saved. Because I, I know I was going to hell. I want to be saved from going to hell. Mm -hmm. I didn't know no other word for that. Mm -hmm. I said. Mm -hmm. He said, well, let's don't do it in the dark. <laughs> Turn the light on. <laughs> he went over to the couch, and I did too. Isn't that amazing? And uh, that night he led me to the Lord. Mm -hmm. I trusted Christ as my Savior. I knew I had eternal life. I knew I was going to go to heaven when I died. You that, knew for sure that night? I was sure. Yeah. It sure can be. Yeah. And never look back on that assurance. That was the best thing I've ever known. Yeah. I knew I had eternal life. I knew I was going to heaven. But I had no clue on how to serve the Lord or what God wanted. I used to take and run down to the Bible bookstore there in Athens, Georgia. And I'd get some missionary novels off the shelves because they were stories. Uh -huh. And I would read them, Hudson Taylor and so forth. And I'd sit in the corner and the guy that was running the bookstore, he'd let me do that. And then I'd put the book back up and I'd go back to work. And then time after time I'd read the books and I'd sit there in the corner reading the book. I'm 18, 19 years old now. And I'd get teary-eyed, I'd cry, hmm. thinking I wish I could do something. But I knew there was no hope for me because I'm a, I'm a reject Lord's on the totem pole. And I didn't know what kind of person God could use. Hmm. And I used to think, man, I would love to be a missionary, I'd love to do something like that. And I would picture myself telling thousands and thousands of people how to go to heaven. Mm. And I'm sitting there and I didn't have no training, nothing else. And so he'd have to tell me sometimes, Yankee, your time's up, you gotta get back to work. And I'd go back to work brokenhearted. 
and I'd have tears in my eyes because I knew there was my future would be like my past unless I made a difference and I didn't know what to do and so I began to search my wife and I we moved to five states in a year and a half hmm. I was so lost so mixed up but I knew I had eternal life knew I was going to heaven what were you what were you moving why were you moving I moved because I was looking for something mm -hmm. but I didn't know what it was and I was trying to find something and I wasn't that sold on you know, just going to church and things like that he, he finally got me going to a little Baptist church which was Northside Baptist Church which is where Freddie goes now and mm -hmm. John John and some of the others the same church okay. 1960 to 1962 because mm. I trust the Lord in 1960 I was 18 years old and as I look back on it, who have ever dreamed that I would have wound up doing some of the things and go where I've gone, and it just blows my mind mm -hmm. that God has been so good to me. That vision you saw preaching to thousands has come true. But let's not get ahead of the story. So you're unequipped. You're a new teenager. You've come to know Christ as your Savior. You're excited about it, but you don't know what to do. So, uh, Well, I was in um, Shreveport, Louisiana, one of the places we moved to. I'd come home from uh, my job. I quit the job because the guy promised me a 10 cent an hour raise and he wouldn't give it to me. So I says, I'm a child of God, you don't treat me like that. Yeah. I was proud, mm. I was macho, and I didn't put up with anything. And I was making stupid decisions based upon my feelings instead of reasoning things out. I still got a wife and two kids. Mm. So I laid the map of the United States on the hood of the car down in Ocala, Florida. And I said, Betty, where do you want to go? She said, yeah, I don't know. I said, let's go to California. She said, that's a long way. I says, she said, well, I got a brother that lives in Shreveport, Louisiana. I said, okay, we'll go there. And that's how I <laughs> determined where I was going to go. I went to Shreveport, Louisiana and started working in a rescue mission. And they would let me speak once in a while. And finally, after one of the meetings, the, the guy that was directing the rescue mission, he told me, he says, you need, you need to go to Bible college. Hmm. I said, I didn't know there was such a thing. And if you go to barber school, you can be a barber. You know? You go to Bible school and be a Bible. I had no mm. clue. Mm. And I so I told the Lord, I says, I want to do something. I want to go to Bible school. And I pray that you would open up the doors for me and help me tremendously in what I should do. Men at the Rescue Commission told me about Tennessee Temple. So I went to Tennessee Temple. Mm -hmm. After I came home and told Betty, I says, we're moving again. So I left her and the kids there in Athens, Georgia, and I went to Tennessee Temple in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I told Dr. Lee Robertson, who was a pastor at that time, president of the school, I said, I was told if I came here, you'd give me a place to stay. He says, go to the rescue mission. So I went to the rescue mission. And I stayed there, slept in that place hmm. with these drunks and winos coming in off the street. And I was there for a couple months. And a lot of nights I just lay there and tears in my eyes wondering I can't even go back to something because I don't have anything never left anything didn't sacrifice anything and uh, so I would just grind them out and I'd wonder what in the world am I going to do my wife and kids are in another state I'm here trying to get ready to go to Bible school I don't have a job I'm standing in a rescue mission and I was one lost kid hmm. but all the time God was opening up doors for me but I can see it now, but I couldn't see it at the time. I went past this one church and I saw a sign that says, the will of God will not lead you, but the grace of God cannot keep you. Hmm. And that meant so much to me. And then next thing you know, I was on a bus on my way to 
Florida Bible College, they were having a camp in Boca Raton, and I was asked if I would be a, a chaperone on the bus from Tennessee. And that's when I met Dr. Ray Stanford of the Florida Bible College. Mm -hmm. They had a little bitty church on South Dixie Highway, and I went there for the next four years. And then that four years gave me the knowledge, the tools that profited me f for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that I took the time out of my life to learn what I needed to learn. And I was taught then the clearness of the gospel, how to present the gospel. And I figured that I want to do this for the rest of my life. But at that time, all I thought about was just learning John 3.16, use a wallet <laughs> illustration, and I'm sat. Set for life. I didn't know all this other stuff that I had to go through. You had to answer, learn to answer a few questions along the way. I never had any plans on being a pastor. Mm -hmm. It's just whenever I left there, they had somebody coming in and speaking chapel. And it was always, well, Yankee, where are you going to go now that you're finishing your last semester? I said, I don't know. But generally, I was going wherever the last chapel speaker was from. <laughs> if he was from Brazil, I'm going to Brazil. If he was from China, I'm going to China. It didn't matter because I just figured that's the last one. I was motivated. But the last one that came was Cliff Taylor, and he was having a Indian Bible camps. And he needed a, an evangelist to go with him. And I thought, I can do that. So I told Betty and the kids, I said, we're going to Indian camps. My kids were all excited to see, you know, Indians and uh, riding ponies and teepees and bows and arrows, and they thought hmm. that would be wild. Well, it wasn't quite like that. No. But we went to Oklahoma and uh, Romano State Park with the Indians. Then I went into Chanto, Arizona, and then down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon with Havasupai, with all the Hobies and the, um, the Navajos and, uh, up by Chanto and and then we headed off to Ames, Iowa, and more Indians, and then we went up into Minnesota, and uh, then all the way to, I guess you could say, uh, Pine Ridge, South Dakota, mm -hmm. with the Sioux. And, uh, but I went to all those places. Ended up in Colorado, mm -hmm. and that's where we started the Colorado Indian Bible College, and I spoke there. So you started? We started the Colorado Indian Bible College. It didn't last long. It wasn't a big school, yeah. and it was only for the Indians. <clears throat> and next thing you know, they needed a pastor at the church, at a church where I was going to. And so I went up there and I spoke. They liked me, and they wanted me to just to do it for a couple of years until the, until the pastor was going to step down. Mm -hmm. But after we got the church going, all he decided to stay. And I thought he he needs he he's doing a good job. He's clearing the gospel, and so. I just started, I just want to work with the young people, the teenagers. So I started the youth ministry mm -hmm. and just did the teenagers. And we called it the youth branch. Mm -hmm. I didn't originate that. That came from down at Florida Bible College. But I started with two kids. Next thing you know, I'm running three, four, five hundred kids mm. to teenagers. And uh, there was no church that I really wanted to send them to. And uh, the church that I had left, well, they were mainly older folks and they didn't want all these kids in their church and all. Mm. And they didn't want a, a bus ministry because the kids, and mm -hmm. it was like a new building. And kids come, well, they they, they can tear up a church too and run yeah. on the bathroom walls and tear up their song books and their yeah. Bibles. And Ministry can get messy sometimes. So I uh, started a church. The next thing you know, I was, we had over 200 go to Bible college for our ministry. And that's where I met a 200 went to Florida Bible, Bible college? Yeah, you know, between Bible college and Florida and the one we started, okay. I had over 200. Wow. Come from our youth group, and that's where I had 
a guy named Greg Steer. He came into our Christian school I started, and he was about 11 years old, and his mama didn't have much, but he had a couple uncles that were really kind of ferocious um, bodybuilders, yeah, we, bouncers, uh, and rough individuals. Craig has written his story, um, uh, Unlikely Fighter. Yeah, that's the name. Yeah, his book, know. and people can look that up. It's a it's a good story. Quite a ministry today. Yeah, he talks about you quite a bit in that book. Well, yeah. it was only because I had two girls that came to ranch, the Bible study. They were too young to come, but they came anyway. Hmm. But they trust the Lord. They kept asking me, said, Jenkins, would you go talk to my mom and dad? I said, one of these days I was. I will. And I kept telling them that because I was so busy. I didn't have time. Mm -hmm. But they kept bugging me, we go talk to my mom and dad. So finally one day I said, yeah, I'll go. Bob Bailey decided to go with me. I got to his house, but Bob Bailey says, I'm going to sit in the car and I'll, I'll pray for you. And he do Jack. I didn't know Jack. Hmm. And he said, I'll sit in the car and pray for you. And I thought, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that he had, there was a little, you know. But anyway, he was I went afraid up to, to the go door, ahead. and when I knocked at the door, this <coughs> great big German police dog met me right there. But there was a screen door between us. And that scared me to death. I mean, the dog was high as my head. <laughs> and so she finally got the dog out, and I went inside and talked with Jack and Early, and they both trusted Christ the Savior. Mm. He started coming out and really changed that kid. I mean, he was a, he was a bad dude. Mm. And uh, he wasn't show. I mean, that's, he, was, he scared me after he trusted the Lord. 10, 15, <laughs> 20 years later, I was still just scared to be around him because <laughs> you never know when he was going to grab a hold of you because he was just... When he start talking about it, he just get ferocious. <laughs> if you ever listen to Greg still tell the story, I'm gonna need. I've, I've read the story. Yeah, it's it's true. <clears throat> but I I had a contest about bringing people out to church, and, and you get an old Schofield reference Bible like mine, and he brought out 250 people in a little over a month, I think it was, and it was incredible what he was doing. But he he had an influence with people. Yeah, and eventually the gospel worked its way through his family. All the way through his family. Yeah, and. Uh, Tom Mathias, who also came out, he was Mr. Uh, he was Mr. Colorado. I mean, he was hmm. muscle-bound, and uh, he had that title. And uh, Jack, well, everybody was afraid of Jack, but uh, Jack wasn't as big. But there was a, the man inside of it was bigger. Hmm. And um, but anyway, there was a whole bunch of them that trusted the Lord, and hmm. uh, they came out to ministry. And when I was running four, five, six hundred kids in ranch, they were all. Every deacon I had had to drive, a, you know, they, they had to drive a bus. And then they had to stand around there because these are not church kids. These are wild kids. Hmm. These are unchurched kids. Mm -hmm. And I would have an average of about 10 or 15, trust the Lord, every Thursday night. Hmm. And then sometime when I had a big group, I could have, you know, 25, 30 more, mm -hmm. trust the Lord. Well, these kids would come to camp, and it was amazing. Yeah. I used ranch to get them there. It ranch a teenage Bible study. I played the banjo, the guitar, the piano, the harmonica, I, I, whatever it took. Mm -hmm. And I'd have a firehouse five made of a, you know, playing tub, saws, coconuts, anything that somebody anything. wanted to make a beat. <laughs> and um, we'd have all these kids come. And we used that to win them. Then we had camps in order to get them dedicated to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then they'd go to Bible college to learn how to serve the Lord and to learn God's Word. So this passion for evangelism and a clear gospel really came out of your Florida Bible College training. Dr. Ray Stanford was the greatest soul winner I've ever met in my life. And I've read a lot, I've met a lot of great men. Not a one of them I've ever seen 
if I was if I had somebody I really loved and they were dying and they only had one person to talk to, I'd want to get Ray Stanford. Mm. I went soul winning with Ray Stanford when he was 85 years old mm. over to Egypt. In Egypt. And uh, it was incredible what he was able to do, an 85-year-old man. And uh, I'm 80, almost 81 now, but uh, he was the greatest soul winner. And well, he trained so many people. The Florida Bible College has such a legacy. I've been in so many FBC churches because of uh, what they've turned out. Even at the conference I was just at uh, earlier in the week, many Florida Bible College grads there. They're everywhere. They're everywhere, yeah, and they're passionate about the clear gospel. Why is, uh, the gospel, why is a clear gospel so pa uh, such a passion of yours? Well, with the, the clear gospel, we call it the clear gospel, the free gospel, free grace, and all that. It's just, really, it's the pure gospel. When you make the gospel pure without adding any additives to it, no add-ons, leave it like it is, it's powerful. Mm -hmm. It's the most powerful thing in the world. It's like a stick of dynamite. But people have hid the gospel through corruptible terminology, giving people the impression that they have to do something besides just believe. If you're saved by grace, if you're saved by grace, then it cannot be by works. Well, whenever you tell a lost man that he has to turn from his sins to be saved, you're having an add-on. You're adding something to it. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can change or pervert the gospel of Christ is by adding works. Mm -hmm. Because grace means grace. And if it is by grace, it has to be free and it has to last forever. Any one of those missing is no longer the grace. So you're saved by grace, not by your works. Now, yes, turning from your sin after you trusted Christ as Savior, the Bible tells us we should depart from iniquity. Mm -hmm. But that's not to be saved or to stay saved or to prove that I am saved. And the truth is, some people like me can turn from your sins and not be saved. Cause, yeah, you can stop your yeah. smoking and not, that doesn't right, save you. Yeah. Stop your drinking, that doesn't save you. Mm -hmm. So there's, you, you got to have something else. But if you're saved by grace, you can't add anything to grace. Mm -hmm. And if a, if a man could lose his salvation, it would mean that God would have to find some reason to cast you out and what can it be if you're saved by grace? He can't use anything mm -hmm. because you're not, you can't add anything to it. So there can't be a reason for God to reject you Amen. or to take it away from Good you. Point. And so when I saw that, that's the reason I wound up going to Florida Bible College instead of staying at Tennessee Temple. Mm -hmm. Because at Tennessee Temple, Dr. Lee Robertson had already talked to his board and was going to hire me to be the first full-time soul winner mm. for Highland Park Baptist Church. And that was in 1964. Mm. And I rejected that and went down to Florida Bible College. And if I'd have stayed there, I probably would have been a big shot mm -hmm. because of the influence of that huge <clears throat> ministry. It was a huge ministry at one time. Yeah. And that's where I learned the bus ministry and things like that. But I'm so glad that I went to that little, little bitty church mm. on the side of the road and learned the Word of God. Amen. Because it's been a prophet to me for the rest of my life. And I still, to this day, I am still doing and using what I learned those many years ago. And to me, the key to the Christian life is understanding the two natures. Mm -hmm. And when you're born in this world, you have a no sinful nature. When Christ says you must be born again, it means you've got to be born without a sinful nature. So, because if I was born a thousand times with a no sinful nature, 
there's no improvement. Right. You have to be born again from above without a sinful nature. And if God has no sinful nature, he can't pass on one. Mm -hmm. And because I'm a child of God, born by the incorruptible word of God, then I have no sinful nature in my new birth. And so that's why it can't sin. And if it cannot sin, it cannot die. And that's why he says in 1 John 3, 9, that whosoever is born of God, well, that's my second birth, not my first birth. Right. Cannot sin because his seed remained in him and he cannot sin, cannot commit one single act of sin. That's the new birth. Yeah, in our new nature, we cannot and when sin. When I understood that, it just opened up so much of the scripture. To me, the clearness of the gospel is the lens by which we study the rest of scripture. Mm -hmm. And you can see more because that's, that's the, what gives you the vision to understand what the Word of God says. And a lost man can't understand the Word of God, discern the Word of God. But there's a lot of people who have learned and memorized a lot of things about and then mess it up on the gospel. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to mess things up, let it be everything Anything but the gospel. Else. That's the difference between heaven and hell. Yeah. So, so you, you uh, after you pastored, did you not become an evangelist, traveling evangelist for a while? Well, I did evangelism work before I became the pastor. Oh, okay. And then in, back in 1980, I stepped down from the pastor just to go on the road, and I traveled around for a year. But after the year, they asked me if I would take the church back, so I, I did that. And then about seven, eight years later, I, uh, I left the work there in Colorado, got me a motorhome, and I traveled for the next three years. Mm. And then when I was coming out of Florida, I had a pastor there at Northside Baptist Church who asked me, he says, would you like to take Northside Baptist Church? And I says, not really. And he, I says, why, why should I? He says, because I want to do what you're doing. <laughs> I says, uh, let, me, let me think about that. He says, now, I've also got the radio ministry, that you'd have the radio ministry. And that was on WN, uh, WNGC, right there in Athens, a 100,000-watt station. Hmm. Reached almost all of Georgia, then North and South Carolina, and uh, Tennessee, and parts of Alabama, and he said, yes, sir, you're on live every Sunday. Hmm. And I thought, that's a lot of people. I can reach a lot of people. I decided to take the church. So I came and sold my motor home and became the pastor there for the next 15, 16 years. Mm -hmm. So I had a TV ministry for eight years and radio ministry there for about 15 years. And we reached an awful lot of people. But then I, in about 2007, I resigned the church Bought me another motorhome, and went back on the road for three more years. <laughs> well, then that's when my good friend, Dr. Hank Lindstrom, passed away. Mm -hmm. I was up there in Ohio, and I told Betty, I said, honey, I'd, I'd like to go to the funeral. Because me and Hank Lindstrom, we met in 1964, and we were good friends. We did a lot of the same kind of ministries. So I jumped on the plane, I came down, and this was the church where Hank was at for 42 Calvary years. Calvary Community Church here in Tampa, yep. 42 years he was here. So when I walked in, she said, Jacob, we need a, we need a, uh, I'm not sure, on the, uh, I get a pallbearer. Mm -hmm. And so they had me come all the way down and sat on the front row. So I did that, Wally Morello and a few others there. And Ray Stanford did the funeral. But there's Hank and then there's Yank. And a couple <laughs> times Ray kept putting me in the casket. I'm, thinking, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, Ray, it's, it's Hank, not Yank. Your time anyway, wasn't up yet. When it was all over with, we went to the cemetery. Went to the cemetery, 
and everybody's sitting down, and there's a casket. And because I was asked to be a pallbearer, I'm, I'm standing right there. Well, there were six of us on the pallbearer, on the casket. And so I'm just standing there, and I'm, everybody's waiting on somebody to do something. And Ray's then sat down, and his wife Jeanette was sitting there. And a couple of the guys came over to me and says, we forgot to get somebody to speak. <laughs> Would you like to say something? Oh, my goodness. I said, yes, I will. Well, I always prepare in my mind, if I'm called upon on the spur of the moment, I want to be ready. Mm. And I was ready. And I went ahead and said some things about Hank, the ministry, gave the gospel, wallet illustration. And uh, so then when they needed somebody to fill in, because they didn't have nobody to take Hank's place, because Hank died all of a sudden, and there was nobody to take his place. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to find speakers. Mm -hmm. And this was a tremendous ministry here. Next thing you know, they called me up and said, Yankee, can you come down and speak? Mm. So I came down and speak. And the rest they is history. And they came how, long, how long were you here as pastor? I was pastor here for about 12 years. And recently stepped down, and you've mentored a very good uh, replacement, Jesse Martinez. He's doing a super job. I'm very proud of him. He's he came through the whole ministry. He's been here for 10 years or more. And uh, God really blessed him. Yeah. He's got, he got wisdom beyond his years. He's got a lot of passion, too, for the free gospel of grace. And then you also started uh, Florida Bible College Tampa. And you also you continue to speak on the radio, don't you? Still have the radio hour? I'm on five stations, five no, six stations, stations here in, mm -hmm. in this area. <clears throat> and I'm also on KLTT there in Colorado, which is a huge Christian radio station, 50,000 watts, which is one of the largest here in the United States as far as the Christian station. But what gives you probably the most exposure is your Bible line ministry. Why don't you tell us a little well, bit about that, I because I church, hear a lot of feedback yeah. from people. Well, as long as I was with the church, we called it Bible Line, because that's how Hank said it. But when I left the ministry, I just changed it to Yankee Arnold Ministries, so that Bible Line stays with the church here. Okay. So now Jesse is working with Bible gotcha. Line, and he's doing a super job with that. Mm -hmm. it, it's a lot of work, but I've got several people that work with me. One guy just does nothing but my, my audio mm -hmm. for the radio broadcast. And so whenever he does one for the radio, which is the same message that we use here in Tampa, that's also used in Colorado, and it automatically puts it on my podcast. Mm -hmm. So I have a new podcast every day. Mm -hmm. Every day I have a new podcast. Every podcast. day. So I've got about 4,000 messages on my podcast. My goodness. And, and, and a new one, just like I said, every day. But you're, it started out as YouTube ministry. How many followers within YouTube? Right now I've got uh, almost 18,000. 18,000. And uh, the total views is about, about two and a half million hmm. views on my thing. And I got a four-minute message on there that's got 220,000 views on Yeah, now. I saw that. The gospel in four minutes or how to get four, to heaven in four, four minutes. Minute gospel. Yeah, four-minute gospel. And it's uh, shown, it's, it's around the world. And you hear people all the time giving you feedback about how they've come to know Christ through yes. this. I have between probably five and ten people a day trust Christ as Savior just from the YouTube ministry. That's not from the podcast and the radio ministry. I, I, in other words, it's, it's, it's more people now I'm reaching than I've reached my whole life all put together. Mm. And uh, God had to do all that. Cause and it'll be, and it has a long lifespan. People can watch them over you know, 10 over years from now, over over 20 years again. from now, perhaps. I get letters from everywhere. I had a, a lady <clears throat> who trusted Christ as Savior in Japan. And she's a little Japanese lady. She came with her husband, who's really tall. They came all the way, flew all the way just to come here to huh. me because wow. I trust the Lord for my YouTube ministry. Huh. Another lady and her uh, daughter, 
they came all the way from Australia. And they came here and they called from over there in Orlando because that's when the plane landed in Orlando. They wanted to know if I was here because they was going to come over to see me. I told them, I says, uh, my wife is not going to be here. She's down in San Antonio. They said, well, we're flying to San Antonio. <laughs> they flew to San Antonio and met my wife and they met and walked the river walk down in San Antonio. And she'd trust the Lord from Australia. Mm. And I've had them come from just uh, most of the states in America that have come down here just to see our ministry. And someone said, I can't believe you're for real. <laughs> You've been a world missionary from your desk and your, or your studio just, just, office Just there. from the YouTube ministry. That's fantastic. And uh, right now I've got about 470 <coughs> messages on YouTube. And if people wanted to find uh, your YouTube ministry, where do, they, where do they go to? All they need to know is my name, YankeeArnold.com. YankeeArnold.com. And from there you can find the YouTube, the college, the blog, all my newsletters, all of it's under the, the word blog. It's right on the, the screen. And the podcast, all that stuff is right there on one place, yankeearnold.com, and they can find out everything that I'm doing. And um, also I've got sermons on there, outlines, probably 500 or more mm. that are mine, mm -hmm. that are free grace. And you're sharing them with everybody. And I have to get them, download them for free. And I mean, these are... Not the if I preach Sunday one, do I have to give lessons. you? These are, these are, this is meat and potatoes. Do I have to give you credit if I teach one of your lessons? Teach them all. <laughs> I probably got some from you. <laughs> Preachers always steal. I, I like your ministry and what you're doing. So <laughs> Preachers are always stealing from each other. I told the college kids, I said, copy, copy, copy. Yeah. If nothing's new under the sun, there's no sense in me That's wasting right. my life trying That's, to be an original. It is true. There's nothing new. We just repeat the things that we've learned. Well, Yankee, you've been faithful minister. You've always been an example to me of what uh, someone should be as a soul winner or, and putting evangelism up front and keeping it a priority in the church and that's something that the church is I think losing today or they're either losing the evangelism zeal or they're losing the message it's getting watered down and changed can I tell you one uh, I tell you. it please in January I came down with COVID mm -hmm. I went to the hospital my oxygen level was in the low 70s mm. Which is critical. Yeah. They put me in the ambulance and took me through the emergency room at the VA hospital here in Tampa. First thing they asked me was, Are you willing to go on the ventilator? I says, No, I'm not. I says, If I'm not that bad and if I'm going to die, I says, I'd rather just go home and die with my wife. I says, I'm 80 years old. I had a good life and I, I don't need it. They said, Well, what if I, you have to have going to a heart attack or something like that because they wanted to know what they could, could mm -hmm. do. And I says, I says, don't resuscitate me. I said, just let me be. And uh, so they didn't like my answers. They had to call my wife and verify that I said <laughs> this and so forth. Yeah. So Not many people are ready to die. No, and I told them, I says, <clears throat> I laid there that night and I talked to the Lord. I says, Lord, I'm 80 years old. I've had a good life. And I, I, I enjoy doing what I've done. And I says, if you're through with me, I'm ready to come home. I says, but if you've got something more you want me to do, I says, I'll just soon stay. I said, but I'm gonna let you make that decision. It's not mine, hmm. you make it. And whatever you decide is good with me. Now it wasn't with my wife, but it was with me. She didn't <laughs> want me to yeah, sure. say that. And so I told the Lord, I said, if I go or if I stay, I'm a winner either way. Mm -hmm. And so, she put it on Facebook, and great steer put it on Facebook, and next thing you know, 
I was number one on Facebook for we a were, while. We were praying for you. But but when the Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship, I lost second place. I mean, first place. I mean. <laughs> but <laughs> on Facebook, while I was in the hospital, and I would talk, and they had me trying to. I, I couldn't breathe hardly. Mm -hmm. It was like breathing through a straw. Mm. And uh, so anyway, I still try to talk. And the head nurse she came in. And she looked at me. She says. Mr. Arnold, you've got to stop talking. I says, ma'am, I've talked all my life. That's all I can do. That's the whole thing I know. She said, well, you've got to stop talking. you got to just close your mouth, breathe through your nose, mm. get that oxygen in. you got to keep doing that. I says, ma'am, I said, I'll do you. If you'll do me a favor, I'll do it. I says, if you do me one thing, I'll be the best patient you've got in the VA hospital. She says, what's that? I says, go over to the board, and where y'all write on the board, why don't you put yankeearnold.com. And you got to go to my website, and you got to listen to my four-minute message. There you go. I said, "Will you do that?" She says, "Yes, I will." Four minutes. Yeah. So I shut up. Next <laughs> morning, she walks in and she says, "I went to your site. I saw your message. It made so much sense to me." She said, "I I emailed it to my daughter right away, who's 28 years old, and she heard it. Mm. And then every time somebody come in, I started talking, and I said, "You'd be surprised how an 80-year-old man who's almost dying of COVID." can milk it for all it's worth because mm -hmm. they felt so sorry for me. Mm. They would do anything that I asked them to do. And I start talking. They said, no, Miss Thorne, you got to be quiet. I said, I'd point to that wall. And I says, call that number. Yeah. you got to call it and dial up my website. And in that three weeks I've been in the hospital, I had about, I guess, between 13, 15 people trust Christ as Savior. I said, if God called me to be a missionary to India, I'd go. If he wanted me to go to Brazil, I'd go. Well, what if God says, I need somebody in the ER? Is God free to send me there? Hmm. I'm still His. Well, what if God needs me in ICU? What if He needs me in rehab? There's people there too. See, sometimes being a missionary for the Lord is not us deciding where to go. Mm -hmm. It's God using us at His will to send us wherever He wants us to go. Taking us I way says, beyond our comfort zones. My, my goal was not to do whatever I wanted, whatever God, whatever you have. Yeah. And so I've enjoyed my life. And so God has spared me, and I thank the Lord for all the prayers. Yeah. But in this time, I just finished five months on the road in my motorhome. Yeah, I saw that. You and we've went. had hundreds and hundreds of people trust Christ as Savior in the last five months. Now, I don't believe those people would have been saved anyway. I believe they would saved because somebody still went. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love the ministry, what Amen. I'm doing. Amen. Well, we love what you're doing, too. God didn't finish with you yet, and we're glad that you recovered well. And you you still got a lot, of, a lot of gas in your tank, so we're looking forward. And we're, we encourage people to go to yankeearnold.com and look at your four-minute message just to see a good gospel presentation, but especially if you're listening and you have any doubts about your eternal future, where you're going to spend eternity. This life is just but a moment, but we have an eternity before us where will you spend it, in heaven or hell? Listen to Yankee's message. Yankee, I, I want to thank you for your your time, your stories, and your life. With, uh, there's, there's, I know there's so much more you could talk about, and you re really ought to get his book, uh, The Gospel-Driven Man. Gospel-Driven Man. Yeah. It's a book I used to teach in the college on how to win people to Christ. There you go. Well, thank you very much for being with us, and uh, thank you for listening today. If uh, you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with Yankee through his website. If you want to get in touch with us, it's gracelife.org or just write charlie at gracelife.org. 
And uh, remember to leave a comment and a review and uh, give us a good review. And um, if you're not sure about your salvation, it's Jesus Christ is the proof of God's love. God sent him to prove his love. And he died for our sins on the cross so that we wouldn't have to pay that price. And then he rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead to show us that he had, he could give us eternal life and that God had accepted that sacrifice. And if you just simply believe in him, if you're just convinced of that promise that you will have eternal life and trust him for it, he will give that to you absolutely free. So we're going to end with that word. Thank you again, Yankee. Thank you. Until all, until all here. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.